Boy, Mafe has been on a historic tear for the Seahawks, setting a single-season record for the most games with a sack yesterday and went over the Commanders. What's next for the rising sophomore sensation? I'll be breaking it all down in our Monday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Tacoma, Washington, or across the country in Fort Myers, Florida. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks getting back in the win column and improving to 6-3 and three with a thrilling 29-26 victory over the Commanders yesterday. I will be dishing out my Monday musings, my in-depth takeaways after watching the All-22 film, several on offense, several on defense, and maybe some with the apparel that the coaches are wearing on the sidelines. Should be a really fun episode brought to you by the Game Time app. Create an account, Use the code locked in NFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Since the start of the season, Boye Mafe has been on a tear in his sophomore season. There may not be a more improved defensive player in the NFC compared to a year ago. It's making that 2022 draft class look that much better for the Seattle Seahawks. Mafe breaking the Seahawks team record with a sack in his seventh consecutive game yesterday. Got to Sam Howell on a stunt. Leonard Williams, thank you very much for taking on two blockers and making it that boy Mafe could shoot inside unblocked and get to the quarterback. But it has been a remarkable sophomore season for Mafe, who now has more than doubled his total. Had three sacks as a rookie last year, already with seven this season. They've happened in seven consecutive games. He continues to grow week in, week out for this defense, and and it has been remarkable to watch. And maybe the thing that I'm enjoying the most about this, though, and none of this surprises me having gotten to know Boy the last couple seasons and even meeting him at the NFL Combine before the Seahawks drafted him, you could tell that this was a very level-headed kid, very humble kid. So I'm not surprised at all with the way that he reacted yesterday when asked about setting this new record and breaking Michael Sinclair's previous mark of six consecutive games with a sack. He said, for me, it's just another accomplishment. Biggest thing for me is just understanding that it's bigger than me. This is a testament to the things that we were working on in the offseason. It's a testament to a lot of guys who wanted to buy in and understand what we had to do this year. So again, he's deflecting. This is what Boy Mafe does, and I love it. And I would have no issues if he came up to the podium and is like, hey, I'm one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. But that's just not the way that Boy Mafe is programmed. He wants to go out and consistently get better week in, week out. And that's what he has been able to do. And the thing is, it still feels like he has not come close to hitting his ceiling. There's still some plays out there where you can see that he is raw technique-wise and still has room to grow. And he's doing the damage that he's doing in spite of that. So Seahawks have to be really excited. You look at the record books where he stands now alone with this incredible streak, seven games in a row with the sack. Michael Sinclair was the only other player in team history back in 1997 and 1998 that had six straight games with a sack. 
and Mafe last week past Cliff Averill, Chad Brown, Rufus Porter, Jacob Green. I mean, we are listing off some of the best players ever to wear a Seahawks uniform. And boy, Mafe has jumped past all of them in his sophomore season with this incredible streak. And now he can start to shift focus. And I don't think he's going to be focusing on record books. That's not the way that Boye Mafe's program, as I said, he's looking at what the team is doing. He's trying to contribute any way that he can. But there's no way that he's not going to be looking a little bit at the NFL record books. He's not that far off. Chris Jones, who's still starring for the Kansas City Chiefs, he had 11 consecutive games in 2018 with a sack. So that means that if Boye Mafe wants to tie him, he's going to have to have a sack in four more games, which is going to be very difficult to do. But nobody thought he was going to get to seven. So the opportunity is still there. But if he gets a sack against the Rams next weekend at SoFi Stadium and he gets to eight, just to put this in perspective right now, Mafe is one of only three defenders in NFL history in their first two seasons to have a streak of seven or more games with a sack. Javon Kurse, former star of the Titans, and Alden Smith, who was briefly with the Seahawks in training camp a couple years ago, was a star with the 49ers early in his career. Those are the only other two players that have accomplished this feat. And if Mafe can get to eight games in a row next week in L.A., he will tie Javon Kurse for the most ever by a player in his first two seasons. And it will also make him only the 14th player ever in a single season. This is excluding the guys that had a streak that lasted over two seasons, over multiple seasons. But this would make him only the 14th player in NFL history, at least since they've been counting stats, that had seven or more or eight or more consecutive games with a sack. And so we're looking at true NFL history potentially being made. If Boye Mafe can get to Matthew Stafford next week and bring him down for a sack for an eighth consecutive game, he is an elite company. And suddenly this isn't just a record-breaking streak in Seattle you start to hear whispers about him going after a record. I mean, honestly, it hasn't been that long ago since Chris Jones did this with 11 consecutive games. But this is rare, even in today's NFL, with the amount of passing that teams are doing. Getting sacks is really difficult to do in the NFL. And to go on a streak like this, there's a reason very few players in Seahawks history have done it five consecutive games, let alone seven this is a great opportunity for Boy Mafe to pursue NFL history. He's got to keep this going next week against the Rams. And obviously, if he doesn't, it's still a remarkable streak. But if he can get to double digits, then this gets really interesting. And Mafe might be looking at some all-pro consideration. I certainly think he's played to that level this year. He's made some really nice plays against the run as well with his pass rushing contributions. He had a second quarterback hit yesterday. I am still in, I'm incredibly amazed that Sam Howell completed that pass. Just flicked his wrist while his arm is getting whacked and somehow throws it on the money to Antonio Gibson for a touchdown. Nonetheless, that was another quarterback hit for Mafe. He has consistently been disruptive and it still feels like there's a lot of room for him to continue improving for the Seahawks defense. It's been a remarkable sophomore jump for him. A sophomore leap has hurt a lot, but uh, this is more than a leap this year for Boy Mafe. Just light and day compared to what he was as a rookie for the Seahawks last year. You saw some flashes as a rookie, but this year he has truly turned into a star for the Seahawks, and they absolutely needed it with Uchenna Nwosu going down with a season-ending injury a few weeks ago to see him going out there week in, week out, getting after the quarterback, making plays against the run, and continuing to improve. Uh, this is another reason to be really optimistic about where the Seahawks are heading, not just this year, but in the future, that Mafe could be one of those foundational pieces for them on that defensive line. Coming up next, I'm going to answer your questions 
on our weekly Monday mailbag. Tons of questions coming off of X or Twitter, whatever you call it these days. I'll be answering as many of those as I can coming up next year on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks which is brought your way by game time. If you've ever been on the hunt for sports or concert tickets at the last minute, the process can be anxiety provoking. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. If you're wanting to see the Seahawks battle the Rams at SoFi Stadium next weekend using GameTime's awesome flash deals feature and their detailed stadium map, you can find awesome seats at SoFi for under 50 bucks right now. It's super easy. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And GameTime's guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less elsewhere, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress. With GameTime, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you very much for listening to Locked on Seahawks five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up tomorrow, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang. He is on the road getting ready to watch some CFL action. So uh, best wishes to Rob and his travels. But he will be back tomorrow. and We'll be breaking down his thoughts coming out of Sunday's win against the Commanders and start looking towards the much-anticipated rematch with the Rams coming up this next weekend at SoFi Stadium. You won't want to miss it. Tons of questions coming in the mailbag this morning after yesterday's win over the Commanders. So let's get to them. Our first question, and this is coming from Pete's Air Monarchs. Yes, I am answering questions coming from a pair of shoes. One of the strong aspects of successful Hawks teams under Carroll has been consistency finishing tackles through good technique. This seems to be lacking at the moment. Why have they gone away from the rugby-style rap, or is it scheme? Well, I don't even necessarily know that it's either one of those things, but this is something I've been talking about for a couple years now. It just feels like in training camp that – some of the things the Seahawks used to do, and those of you that have participated in track, they used to bring out those big track pads and they would do some tackling where guys would tackle teammates onto that pad to make sure that everybody was kept protected. I can't remember the last time that I saw them do that at training camp. So they've made some peculiar changes in that regard. It just feels like it hasn't been something that's really been a focus on the practice field. And there were some games earlier in the season where it seemed like the tackling was starting to get better. The last few weeks, though, we've seen a lot of whiffs. We've seen poor pursuit angles. I think that's been the biggest thing. The angles that guys are taking to tackle are not good. And we've seen a few times where guys have tried to go for fumbles when they should have just tried to bring players down. Reek Woolen last week against the Ravens, for example. So I think that there's a number of things. I don't think scheme has anything to do with it. It doesn't matter the scheme. You just got to go up and you got to be able to make your plays. But I do feel like they need to reemphasize. We need to wrap guys up. You can't be trying to tackle guys with your shoulders, bring the big hits all the time, going down to guys' ankles. That could work, but it's not working a lot for this team. They're missing – they're leaving a lot of tackles on the field. So – it's all about re-emphasizing that technique more than the scheme. And, and certainly it's a mindset thing. So uh, I'm with you. It seems like this has been something that's been lacking compared to earlier years. But I'm wondering how much the way that they're handling things in practice has really impacted this on the field. 
to this point. Our next question coming from Stabismo. Do you think it's the right decision to give Zach Charbonnet all the work in the two-minute drills and third downs, especially when you look at Walker and what he can create after the catch? Yeah, it is the right decision. And I understand what Ken Walker III did yesterday. You'd like to see more plays like that, obviously, and his ability to catch the football not something he did a lot at Michigan State because they didn't involve running backs in the passing game, but he's always had soft hands. So as a receiver, he fits that bill. But he, as much as he's improved, is still not a great pass protector. Zach Charbonnet has really impressed me. He's exceeded my expectations in that regard. He's done a nice job picking up blitzes. He brings the physicality, good technique. He's sound with his assignments in pass protection. And he also has really good hands out of the backfield. So I think there's that trust thing with the pass protection more than anything. And they got to find ways to get Zach Charbonnet on the field anyway. That's been one of my gripes early in the season. Find ways to get this other second round pick in it and use both of these guys in your offensive attack. So I think this has been a great fit for him as that third down back. And it gives Ken Walker the third an opportunity to rest up and he can still be your lead bell cow in the other situations. I just think Charbonnet's skill set fits that third down role and the two minute drill better overall than what Ken Walker the third does not that he couldn't do it and obviously he's a weapon in the passing game if he's utilized that way but Charbonnet can be too and I think the pass protection success that he's had is a clear advantage in his favor playing that role our next question from uh this is another one that's coming from Pete's Air Monarchs I think I may have messed up who actually submitted this question here but do you think the team is getting enough of a return on investment from Draymond Jones they were moving him around some to be a stand-up rusher opposite Boye Mafe. Is that new? So for the Seahawks, it's fairly new, moving him to the edge position. But if you look back at his tape in Denver the last couple of years, we talked about this after the Seahawks made the signing. He had some of his best success in Denver when he was a stand-up end rusher. And so even though he's a 280-pound guy, he has the athleticism and burst to be able to play that role and Pete Carroll said this morning on his radio show on Seattle Sports 710 that they're going to be doing that more. Now that they have Leonard Williams to go with Mario Edwards and Jaron Reed in the middle, they can do this as a way to get all of those guys on the field together. And Draymond Jones has the athleticism and the experience to do it. They've got to find a way to get him more involved. To this point, I don't think that he has quite played up to that contract. I thought he had a really solid game yesterday, other than the play where Brian Robinson got that 48-yard catch and Jones seemed to not see him at all back there. But again, when you're asking somebody like that to draw back in coverage, I think you're asking for plays like that to happen because it's just not something that they're necessarily comfortable with. They don't do a lot. player like Jones, he is at his best getting upfield rushing the passer, using his power and his speed. So I expect to see more of him playing that stand-up role, along with doing a lot of three-tech as well. They're not going to be moving him completely away from playing inside, but I would expect we're going to see more of that edge presence from him now with Leonard Williams being in the mix with Jared Reeve, Mario Edwards. Again, it's a way to get all those guys in the field, and it could be effective, especially without a Chetanuosu. This is a way that you can help mitigate that with Jones, who I think is a solid run defender as well. McCrusty seven. I just saw a mock draft of the Seahawks picking Jaden Daniels in the first round. What are your thoughts on him and the fit? So it, right now it's early mid-December. I haven't even considered looking at mock drafts. I don't do any of that kind of stuff until we get beyond the season and we get to the senior bowl. And then I will start to consider that stuff, especially if the Seahawks are not playing anymore at that point, then I'll start looking at it. So I have not looked at any of these mock drafts. I have watched Jaden Daniels. In fact, I've been watching him since he was at Arizona State at the beginning of his college career. And 
I've always been intrigued by the traits. You can see the athleticism, what he did for LSU this last weekend, running for over 200 yards, passing for over 300. This is a guy that has the physical tools, but there's also a lot of games where you don't necessarily see those tools translate to the production you're looking for. And he's been inconsistent. I think first round right now is a bit rich as a day two pick. This could be one of those guys that makes some sense for the Seahawks if they're wanting to bring in a young quarterback. And right now they're going to be picking late in the first round. So maybe they trade down and maybe Daniels ends up being a player they're intrigued by. But there have been enough mistakes. There's been some questions with the decision making for me. He is not one of my top quarterback prospects in this draft, but I can see him being a day two guy that has enough upside if he's with the right coaching staff could become a starter. So it's possible the Seahawks could have interest in him as somebody to develop behind Geno Smith or even come in and compete against Drew Locke, whatever the Seahawks choose to do. But uh, first round might be a little rich for me with this particular prospect. A Foxer one looks like we will have decisions to make once Abraham Lucas comes back. Do you think Raekwon O'Neal and McClendon Curtis won't get cut in case the Hawks need depth for next year if they lose Lewis or Haynes? So, you know, both these guys can play, especially McClendon Curtis have played guard in the past, but one of these guys is probably going to end up getting released because I think the Seahawks will think they can keep them on the practice squad, that they'll clear waivers. So I would anticipate that's probably the most likely move here. Neither one of these guys have played many snaps. They were signed as developmental players that Seattle could take a look at, and maybe they end up on the field with the injury to Abe Lucas. Charles Cross was out when they made that move as well. But neither one of these guys have played very many snaps, and maybe they're part of the future as a depth piece. But right now, I, again, I think this stage of the season, this season, excuse me, it's easier to slip guys through the practice to the practice squad off waivers. So I anticipate Seattle will release one of those two, especially with the fact that it looks like Derek Young might be potentially heading back to injured reserve with his abdomen injury. Uh, getting aggravated yesterday, some scar tissue related stuff. We'll see what happens on that front. But I would think right now that D Eskridge is going to be on this roster. And I would think that one of those undrafted rookie tackles, that's probably the most logical move. Maybe even both of them, if they want to keep Jason Peters around, they could move him up to the 53 as depth. We'll see what the Seahawks do, but there could be some moving pieces right there. And I expect at least one of those young players is going to get released with hopes they can bring him back on the practice squad. And our last question here coming from D Panky 827. Do you believe Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron don't value complimentary football as much as explosive plays. And I don't know that I would go that far. Pete Carroll does love his explosives. He always has. This is regardless of who the OC has been, whether it was Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer, now Shane Waldron. Pete Carroll has always been about those shot plays. He's wanted to have the run game going and then work off that. Can we get those explosives downfield? Russell Wilson was as good as any quarterback in the league doing that in his 10 years with the Seahawks. And Geno Smith last year was arguably the most prolific deep ball passer in the NFL. This year, it hasn't necessarily come together. There's been other circumstances that have caused that. But I think that it's it's probably not the right assessment to say that they don't want complimentary football as much as explosive plays but this year it's worth wondering because there have been a lot of games where the run game they've just kind of abandoned it or they haven't stuck with it even yesterday it felt like they could have leaned on it a little bit more down the stretch they ended up winning anyway and what they did worked but I think that they still want to play that complimentary football but I you know explosive plays are a big part of the equation but I think both these things are still really important to Pete Carroll and to Shane Waldron as the play caller coming up next I'm going to dish out my Monday musings my in-depth takeaways after watching the all 22 
some thoughts on offense, some thought on defense, and some things going on on the sideline as well that maybe should be monitored a little bit more closely. Don't go away. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought your way by FanDuel. Get ready for week 11. I can't believe I'm saying that. In the NFL with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads such as the Seahawks against the Rams next week on the road. Player props, including Devin Witherspoon being the favorite to win Defensive Rookie of the Year over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash on and enjoy the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks once again to all the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time for our Monday musings. Normally, I would have my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, here. The two of us would be dishing out our thoughts, but I'm going to have a little bit more time to really dive into some of the things that jumped out to me in yesterday's game. We'll have some more thoughts tomorrow on our Tuesday show as well. Save some stuff for then, but I want to start on the offensive side of the football, and it really has to go with the inconsistency that we've seen from Geno Smith and this offense in general. And yesterday kind of was a microcosm of the way that the season has been because you have seen glimpses of this being a top five caliber offense with all the weapons that Geno Smith has, the run game that they potentially could have. The offensive line at times has looked good, even with the injuries. There's also been games where they've looked really shaky. It was one of the big problems in Baltimore. So it's really been an inconsistent offense, and Geno Smith has been impacted by that. In the first half, he was playing pretty poorly, even though the accuracy rate was better than in Baltimore. There were missed plays. On third down, there were a number of throws that just weren't where they needed to be. There were some open receivers that he missed. And so it's understandable why fans are getting a little bit frustrated. The end of the half, the intentional grounding, Pete Carroll took the blame for that today. But still, Chino Smith can't let that happen at the end of a half like that. The quarterback's got to be able to get the football out wisely there and not put yourself in a position where you end up getting penalized, the clock runs out, and now you don't get an opportunity to kick even a field goal. So it was a rough first half. But then in the second half, we saw Geno Smith, especially after that Ken Walker, the third play, a quick dump off, and he does the rest. That seemed to take the weight of the world off of Geno Smith's shoulders. He started playing like 2022 Geno Smith after that. He was firing the ball over the field. The touch pass that he made over the top to Tyler Lockett, over the top of linebackers' fingertips, That was as good of a pass as you are going to see. And that's what we saw a lot last year. And it just hasn't happened much this season. But it just seemed like Geno Smith played much looser after that play to Ken Walker in the third. And sometimes all it takes is just one play like that. Keeping that in mind, I think this next month is going to be critical defining Geno Smith's future with the Seattle Seahawks. If he is going to be the starter next year, everybody's talked about that mega increase in his cap hit next year. That has been a regular discussion from fans sending in questions to us. And we've talked about it a few times with the way that he's played. You know, it's kind of tough to justify paying that cost next year. But if Geno Smith can build off of what he did in the second half of this game yesterday, and I know the commander's defense has been rough all year, but it doesn't matter. This is the NFL And there were a number of really nice throws down the stretch. The ability to guide his team after the commanders tied the game in the end 
put the team on his back, say, hey, we got this. We're going to go get this field goal, drive him right down the field. Nine for 11, those last two drives, he was near perfect. If they can get that Geno Smith much more consistently here over the next month, they can get some big wins. If they beat the 49ers, the Cowboys, Eagles, if they can get some wins against some of those really good teams that are coming up on their schedule and Geno Smith plays well in those games, put Seattle in a position to potentially win this division, get a higher seed in the playoffs, then you can start to have the discussion, hey, Geno looks like he could be the guy for several more seasons for us. Let's keep him around next year. We're willing to pay that price tag. Maybe even they do some work to try to rework the contract to lower that cap hit a little bit, maybe add an extra year or two onto the deal. If he wants that to happen, though, he has got to put everything together. He has got to play consistent football. And this also goes back to the OC shape. Waldron, it goes back to the line. This is not a one-player game. But Geno Smith has to find a way to elevate his game the way he did in the second half yesterday and play at that level more consistently. And if he does that, the Seahawks have the talent around the roster, around him on offense, on defense. They have the talent to be a top-tier team in the NFC. But a lot of that rides, and that's the pressure that he's been dealing with. It rides on Geno Smith's throwing arm, on his decision-making He's got to be smart with the football. For the most part, he was yesterday. No turnovers. Ended that run of eight turnovers in four games. If they can get that Geno Smith for the second half stretch run, then it really gives this team a chance to do quite well going into the playoffs, maybe do some damage in the postseason. And it sets Geno Smith up to be the guy next year again for the Seahawks. If he struggles over this next month, then Seattle is going to be in a position where, hey, we don't want to pay this kind of money. The contract was set up to make it fairly simple for them to get out of that contract. If they're ready to move on a quarterback, then suddenly we've got a really interesting offseason where the Seahawks going to turn at the most important position in professional sports. So this is a big month coming up for Geno Smith. And on the defensive side of the ball, my first thought coming out of yesterday's game, Jamal Adams, I know that there are fans out there that are frustrated and the missed tackles have been left in the field. The missed sack opportunity on that first drive that Sam Howell was able to step up in the pocket and then found Brian Robinson wide open, 50-yard, 51-yard touchdown on that play. When the Seahawks are blitzing him, you expect him to get over the quarterback because he said he missed a layup yesterday. But this is going to be my counter argument. Patience has got to be exercised with Jamal Adams right now. And I know that a lot of fans, they're tired of trying to be patient with a player that you gave up so much for. But consider the injury he came back from. And he mentioned this yesterday that his doctor said it's probably going to be a year after you get back on the field till you are completely over this injury from the sense that you're not going to feel pain anymore. You're going to have to monitor it, things of that nature. He is still dealing with that. His knee was barking at him, as he said, at the end of the game yesterday. And so while he's healthy enough to play and he's making some big plays, he had a couple of really nice tackles that uh, stopped ball carriers short of the first down marker yesterday. He's playing with the aggressive style that you're accustomed to seeing. I think his coverage has been pretty darn solid. Teams aren't testing him a lot in the passing game. There's been a lot of positives. You've seen those missed tackles, though. You see some plays where you're wondering if he's 100% fully confident and he's not dealing with the knee that's barking at him, is he going to make that play? I think you have to be patient with him right now, and the Seahawks are trying to do that because this was a very serious injury for him to come back from a torn quad tendon, and sometimes those injuries, it takes multiple seasons to really get all the way back. You have to be encouraged by what you've seen. There's been mistakes out there. There's also been some really nice plays. So I think this is something where Seahawks fans, they got to be patient. Even if they don't want to, you got to be patient with Jamal Adams because of the injury that he was coming back from and, and take the good, the bad. I still expect a lot more good than bad because he's 
made some really nice plays out there. And I expect as the season progresses that he is going to get more comfortable and he's going to continue continue playing at a higher level. Sticking on the offensive side of the ball, the Seahawks have got to keep putting more Charbonnet with their dinner in the game plan. I, I don't know what else needs to be said at this point. I've made this argument on a couple other shows earlier in the year. I mean, the Seahawks are 4-0 and this year when Zach Charbonnet gets at least five carries. Take that for whatever it's worth. But when they get him involved in the offense and he's running the ball, he's catching the ball out of the backfield, he's in making blocks and pass protection, good things seem to happen. It's another one of those rookies that just making an impact. And he's gradually starting to see more carries. And this isn't saying I don't want to see Ken Walker the third out there. He's a dynamic player. I still think he should be your lead back. But you got to find a way to get 10 touches for each of these guys, minimum. That's got to be a game plan priority. Find ways to get the football in both these guys' hands because they're different style backs. It's hard for me to believe that anybody wouldn't fall in love with Zach Charbonnet's running style, the downhill, aggressive, get-out-of-my-way style that he plays with. Yesterday, ended up hurting him on a pass play. Just go out of bounds. You don't need to truck a guy there in the two-minute drill. But that style, that tenacity – that is endearing to fans, and and it's fun to watch. And I really like the decisive running style that he brings. These guys truly are complementary backs. I just think they got to continue to find ways to get him more involved, whether it's in those third down rolls, two minute drills, more goal line opportunities, whatever it is. They got to find a way to get both these running backs involved in this offense because they play at a much higher level when they have number twenty six as well as K nine both out there running the football making plays in the passing game. It just makes this offense that much tougher to defend. And sticking with the defensive side of the football, I mentioned Jamal Adams being patient with him. And no reason to have to worry about patience with Leonard Williams. He already has proven to be worth the investment. And if you watched yesterday's game closely, what was interesting about what Leonard Williams did, you look at the stat line. Yes, he had his first sack. That was a big play. Had only two tackles. But This is a player that does so much more than what is in the box score. And you could see it yesterday with Seattle's other sacks they had in this football game. Leonard Williams directly had his hands on every sack that the Seahawks made on Sam Howell this game. Boy, Mafe's sack, that doesn't happen if he doesn't eat up two blockers on a tackle and exchange stunt. But he kept both blockers occupied. It left Boy Mafe untouched. He's able to shoot inside loop back inside no blocker there beeline to sam howell and he gets his record seventh sack in seven games seven consecutive games with a sack it doesn't happen as mafia said every game without the selflessness the uh, sacrifice the willingness to take on that dirty work and take on two blockers and allow mafia to get there on bobby wagner's partial sack with draymond jones They don't get there without the pressure that was created by Leonard Williams up the middle on that play either. So he was extremely disruptive. There's a number of plays that aren't going to show up on the box score. If you're looking at PFF, there will be pressures on there. That'll be indicators should be. But he had a very disruptive game. He was dominant yesterday yesterday against a team that he has been very dominant against with the New York Giants. He had a lot of great games against Washington with those division rivalries that carried over now with his new team. But he's looking every bit like a player that was worthy of giving up a second round pick for with the difference making that he is having in the trenches, not only when he's making plays, but when he's helping others make plays. And that's what you're looking for from a dominant three tech defender. And he has been outstanding. He's only going to get better as he continues to get more comfortable with the scheme. As he mentioned yesterday, I asked him about, trying to mesh, build chemistry with teammates, that takes more than 
that takes more time than it does learning a scheme. And so as he continues to learn his teammates and he learns the defense, he is going to continue to get more comfortable. And you would expect that he's going to continue to get better and wreak havoc out there for the Seahawks. My last closing thoughts real quick. I know I'm not the first person that's mentioned this, but uh, Pete Carroll, I think you need to dust off that ball cap a few more times. Pete Carroll now 3-0 and wearing a baseball cap. And yesterday he said it was just because it was you know supposed to rain and then it didn't rain. I don't care. Rain, shine, snow, whatever. You're undefeated. Keep rocking the baseball cap. The Seahawks need that on the sidelines. And, and quite frankly, uh, it just looks sharp, Coach. So uh, I think that the ball cap needs to make a, a presence more regularly for the Seahawks on the sideline with Pete Carroll. It should be a staple, just like his Air Monarchs. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Don't forget, tomorrow is Tell the Truth Tuesday. I'll be rejoined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We'll be dishing out our final thoughts from yesterday's win over the Commanders and start looking towards a much-anticipated rematch with the Rams at SoFi Stadium. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!